Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. You know, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing among us. You know, as a pastor, I think you go through different seasons of where familiar territory, risky territory, and then uncharted territory. And, uh, you know, I think there's moments that God really challenges me personally as a pastor, not just to lead, but to trust. Um, And if there is any success in the life of this church, as far as me navigating or leading, it's because the spirit of God uh, is guiding and leading every step of the way. Um, And and there there are moments uh, really in my in my flesh that sometimes I want to stay comfortable and and I want to stay safe because I want to guarantee success. But for the church to be all that God has called us to be, we have to get out of the boat. And I think of that story of Peter when he, he said, Lord, if this is really you, and, and that's what we're saying, Lord, if this is really you moving into two services, moving into the areas that you've called us to, God, if this is really you, call me out. So when he calls us out, we have two options. We have the first option, which is, Lord, just playing. I didn't want to get out of the boat. But the second option is to actually to get out of the boat and to follow after God and to be captured by his gaze and to focus on his goodness. And perhaps we will see a miracle happen because it was not a common thing. It was not a normal thing. Walking on water is not something that people do. Amen. But when we walk in obedience to what God has called us to do, we will see things in the life of the church that are not common, that are not normal, but they are all of God. And I believe that as we navigate forward, that God wants to show us more of him and less of ourselves. I always appreciate the encouraging word, Pastor, that was a good word. But I hope more than the word, you got to see Jesus. More than the encouragement and the excitement that God actually deposited something in your spirit every single weekend that you can take with you and forever be changed. There's a series we're going to move into when we launch two services. It's going to be called Come and See. And my heart is not that the world or Bay City or Matagorda and surrounding counties see how good our worship teams are or see how gifted our pastors are, but they experience the power and presence of God like they've never seen. To where there will be testimony after testimony and you will adapt that, that, that name of saying, come and see what God is doing among us. I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but I know that God showed up and he did, he's doing some awesome things. And I believe that it's going to be a lifetime changing season and that we're going to see the goodness of the Lord. And you know what the scary part is? God's got to show up or that whole series is going to fail because I can't do it. I can't heal. I can't create. I can't do anything apart from the power of God showing up and doing what only he can do. So as we make room for him, I believe that we will see him in a mighty, mighty way. Amen. Amen. All right. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. um, The word that I have for you today is that you are built for greatness. And uh, 
If you'll walk away with that, that's all I care about this morning. I don't care about the illustrations. I don't care about the points. I hope that you see the greatness that is deposited within each and every single one of you. I had the privilege to go to youth camp and uh, help with worship. And as I looked at each individual, God gave me a glimpse. He said, do you realize there is greatness in every single one of them? And I kind of paused and I says, well, some more than others, right, Lord? And he says, no, because that's how we, that's how we look at it. (laughs) But inside every single one of those, there is a deposit of greatness that God wants to release in your life. But in order for it to be released, you have to see it. Doesn't matter if I see it. It doesn't matter if God sees it. Doesn't matter if his, his spirit leads you to see it. You have to see it and understand it this morning. That there is greatness inside of you and God has marked you and purposed you for greatness. It doesn't matter what your parents said. It doesn't matter what your coaches said. It doesn't even matter what you think this morning. But God has a perfect, great plan for each of you. And today I pray that your eyes would be opened to see yourself as God sees you. Because when we see ourselves in the light of how God sees us, it changes everything. How many of you often care what people think? Well, we have to move from that place of caring what people think and start caring a whole lot more about what God thinks. Because when we move from the realm of what I think or what people think, it limits us from tapping into our God-given design. It really does. It keeps us limited and we think, well, you know, if I go to school, if I get educated, if I do A, B, and C by worldly standards, I'll become something great. If you do nothing and you don't get an education and you even fell out of school, God still has put greatness within you. We cannot measure greatness by a worldly standard, but we have to look at it as a kingdomly standard. To each of those that he has designed, he says that he created us, he formed, and he fashioned us in his image. And you know what that image bearer should do? They should rule and reign and co-lead in the earth. Because that is what God does. He is looking for co-laborers to come. But have you ever, this, this morning, have you ever thought about what determines value? I did a little bit of research and I looked at silver, gold, and I thought platinum was up there, but platinum's really not that valuable. Palladium is, is, is the valuable one. So you have silver, gold, and palladium. Silver is worth about $19 per ounce. Gold is worth about $1,750 an ounce. And palladium is $2,170. You know what they use palladium for? Catalytic converters. And if you have been on the byproduct or you know what's going on, now we understand. I was like, why do they, it's a bunch of fumes and dust, and, but they actually use the catalytic converter. They put palladium in there for the ecosystem to, to, to just purify the air, and it's, it's the materials used for that, so it's very, very valuable. So how many of you know that sometimes value is determined by the rarity or the purity of the item? That's what it's based on. So let's look at things manufactured because we have uh, things that are, are, you know, just materials in the world, um, but natural resources, sorry. And then we have things that are manufactured. How many of you remember, and some of you still may believe this to be true, but how many of you know it's somewhat of a, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. When you say made in America now, it may not be as valuable as it once was. 
But previously, when you said made in the USA, it held value, it, ha- it held quality, it, was, it cost more, but the lifespan of it lasted, right? That's not always true nowadays, but let me tell you what, the goal of made in America should still be true. Now, there's a lot of different items and things that are made and crafted and manufactured, and how many of you know it's always credible, the credibility lies on the manufacturer? Now, I'll give you an example that I know to be true. You can get a Mexican-made Fender guitar, and you can get an American-made Fender guitar, and there is a drastic difference. When you play it, you slide your fingers, Every just the feel of it feels like better quality. And I'll tell you what, the price value, you're talking three or 400 bucks to 1500 to $2,000 is the difference. Now, when you look at it, guess what? It looks exactly the same. Can have the same colors, can have the same design. They're, they're both playable, but one of them has a lot more value. It's taken, there's been a lot more time in sanding and polishing and the setup, the inlaying, all of those things. And therefore, you pay more expensive of a price. You get a better quality instrument. Well, how many of you know that there are good quality manufacturers? And how many of you know there are what you call cheap manufacturers? The price point is very affordable, but the quality is what? Poor, right? You know, now some of us are like, we'll just buy another one. So cheap, we can buy another one, which that kind of gets us in this downward spiral. But we always look at the rarity or the purity or the quality of the craftsman. Now, I want us to shift gears just a little bit this morning because if we realize who we are crafted by, huh, this is better than made in America. The quality in which God has fabricated and built and designed and fashioned and formed us together. He never cut corners. And then when he comes into our life, he purifies this vessel of filth that makes us clean and pure and holy and righteous before him of high value. So the maker of heavens and earth has created us. He designed, he formed, he fashioned us all with greatness inside of me. Can you point to your safe? Say, there is greatness in me. If you, can't, if you didn't feel it, push a little harder. I'm talking about you this morning. I don't want you to say, well, there's value in Pastor Noe, but no, I want you to understand there is value in you because of your Creator. You are marked with a stamp and you are sealed by His Spirit this morning as His. And when we say that something is not great that has great value, do you know that that is a disservice to the manufacturer? To say, oh, it's junk. It's just like China made or whatever, whatever your qual- the reduced quality is. Whenever we say that, we are actually undermining the manufacturer and the creator. So we have to start seeing the value that is engrafted into our lives that he alone has built. Each of us are one of a kind and that makes each of us super special. We're valuable because we've been crafted, put together for greatness by the greatest craftsmen. So this morning, I want to look at three different areas quickly um, that God works his greatness in and through us. The, the, The three reminders of your greatness. First and foremost, I want you to realize Isaiah 64, 8, it says, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. 
Just that one passage, realizing that we were in this formless, non-fashioned way, and God actually marked us, he built us, he formed us, he fashioned us. Do you realize it's more important to figure out what it is that God has formed and fashioned you to do rather than try to be something you were never built to be? We do that for a lifetime. Well, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm, what I'm called to do or what I'm called to be. Do you realize what God has marked you for? Right? We have to realize that there's, there's many different purposes, you know, and so we have to look at what God has designed and purposed, not what you think your design should be. Because we may be pursuing all of the wrong things because we're pursuing the wrong design. Romans 9, 21, it says, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? 2 Timothy 2, 20, it says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Do you realize that God has a plan for each of us? Just because you're not shaped in fashion does, like me doesn't mean that you are unvaluable. But you have the greatest value because of the craftsmanship in your creator. Do you realize this craftsman never messes up? I think that's some, some, how many of you have taken that lie before? Well, God just messed up with me. If he would have fixed this or if he wouldn't have given me this. But I'll tell you what, he uses those fractured parts of our life for our uniqueness. The rough edges or the marks or, you know, I don't know if you have stuff at the house that your kids have gotten a hold of that have colored on or marked on. Or they, ha- they have kind of authenticated it to a different way. But you've kept those things. Well, how many of you know that each of those things bear a story and they're still just as valuable? And sometimes the ones with the most unique story are the most valuable. Because there's something to it. There's fractures. There's imperfections. But we cannot see those imperfections as us being flawed. But that is a specific design by the creator. That's how he formed and fashioned us. Right? We have to believe that. Our response has to be, Lord, make me, mold me, shape me. I am the clay and you are the potter. Do with me as you see fit. So it's not what we determine that determines our value, but what God determines us to be that determines our value. He is the potter. We are the clay. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you know that scripture? You've heard it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have to begin to believe that today. Because if you believe it will determine how you respond. Right? Psalms 139.14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you really know that this morning? How well do you know it? Do you know that you are made wonderfully today? It says, my soul knows it very well. My soul is, is my mind, my will, and my emotions. The, 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 the things that process who I am and sometimes say, man, I'm really not as good as I need to be. How many of you, when you fall short of God's word, all of a sudden, your perception of yourself changes? And a lot of it is, you know, the devil screaming in your ear. That, that that's tied to your identity, but that, that's, that's tied to humanity. That's not tied to your design and what God has created. Do you realize that he is form and fashioning a masterpiece in our lives? You're being made into a beautiful masterpiece throughout your lifetime. 
You know, and I think that's what we need to look at. Like, it's like we're on that wheel and we're turning in our life. It's a lifetime of becoming this clay. There's times he'll just take out the little nicks or he'll take out the imperfections. And the more that he puts hands on us, the more we're fixed. If God has never put his hands on you, you might need to say, Lord, get your hands involved in my life. Because I'm a pretty rough lump of clay this morning. And I need you to change me. But you have to trust that whatever he is doing, it's because he is good and he knows best. I bet it hurts. I mean, I guess if you could feel like, what does clay feel like? Oh, man, I'm going to be something great. And then whoa, he mulls you back down, right? And then, then he forms you into this. And, you know, every, every bend, every curve, you know, it's, it's made by pressure, right? You know, he puts his hands and he pushes. And that, by that pressure, it forms bends and angles and all of these things. It's not always comfortable, but yet it's important and it's critical to become all that God has called you to be, okay? So we have to understand that we are the clay. There is a design, so say design, there is design that God has in mind for each of us. God is the potter and we are the clay. We have to remind, be reminded of our greatness. Number two, people often look on the outside, but it is God that looks on the inside. And I'm going to say, so the first thing we looked at was our design. The second thing I want us to look at is our desires. What are you really passionate about? What is your heart bent towards? I want to look real quick at the life of David and as, as Samuel anointed David, kind of as that story unfolds, David arrives at the house of Jesse and he invites them to a sacrifice to the Lord. And um, this is Samuel's response to one of Jesse's sons, 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 13. I'll read it straight out of the NIV. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So even Samuel, who was a prophet of God, looked with his natural eyes and said, surely this is the one. Missed it. How often are we guilty of that? We look at somebody at face value and we think that they are God's man or God's woman and that's not the case, right? Because we're looking at outward, we're looking at gifting, we're looking at talents, we're looking at skills. What do you contribute or what do you offer? And what God was looking for here was a desire, a heart towards him. Because I'll tell you what, this guy probably looked good. He was tall, he was good looking, says, surely this is the guy. He wasn't one of those, because we know the other side, he could have easily been like, there ain't no way that's the guy. Right? And because God always looks at the heart. So we have to know that God looks at the heart, not at appearance. Even Samuel missed it. We'll keep going, looking at this. So Samuel, uh, we'll look at verse 8. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had... Uh, Shammah passed by, but, but Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all your sons? And he responds and says, There is still the youngest. Jesse answered, But he is tending the sheep. Now let me tell you what. If you will be responsible for what God has before you, you will still be selected even when you're far away from the selecting process. It didn't matter where David was 
But what he was doing, he was being faithful in what God had called him to do. And in that preparation with the sheep in the field, he was in that preparation process to be God's man. But he wasn't there with the brothers. He was kind of the outcast, the young one. Hey, he's out there, you know, like didn't even get invited to the selection process. Come on. Like when he said, bring all your sons. They didn't think it would be David. They thought it would maybe be the oldest. And I know, you know, in, in different um, cultures, your oldest son is your, your prized son and the one that's going to inherit all the wealth and all those things. How about God to not select the first one, but to select the last one? How about God to do that? You know, he changes what you think and chooses the one. So Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So then he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So it's not that he didn't look good and he didn't look full of health. He did. But God was showing something here that you had to look at the heart. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in his presence with his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So what was David's secret? Right? So, so we need to know what was David's desires? What was his heart? What was it that made him and created him and set him apart for greatness? So this is in Acts 13, 22, it says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. So there's two things, his heart and his actions. And how many of you know, sometimes our hearts are towards God's, but our actions are not towards God. Or sometimes our actions are towards God, but guess what? Our heart is far removed. We do the right thing, but we don't want to do the right thing. It's twofold. He said, this is a man after my own heart. He, will, he has my heart. He has my desires. <clears throat> but he will also do all that I ask him to do. So God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. So three reminders of your greatness. Number one, God has built you with a specific design. He's also placed specific desires that's the heart. That's the inside. Don't worry about the outside as much as you do the inside. Okay? And number three, I want you to realize that it doesn't matter where you start but where you finish. So your destination matters. I see many people that have served the Lord and fall away. Somebody says, they're going to go to heaven? That's a hard question. Because it doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you end. You can be called into the Father's house, but you can reject the Father and turn far away from Him and sever that relationship with the Father. I don't know your stance on once saved, always saved, or that salvation is a choice, but I'll tell you what. My thing is I can trust God and I can choose God, but I can also reject Him. The moment I reject the Father, I cut myself off from all the benefits of His house. How far does that go? Into eternity? Hey, I'll tell you what. It's better to stay in the Father's house. Then to dabble around and say, I'll come back later. And you've heard that. Hey, I'm not ready to serve the Lord, your Lord yet. Right? They're far from the Father's house. But let me tell you what. We have to know that our destination is of utmost importance. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 in the NIV. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out before us. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The goal is longevity. The goal is to get to the destination, to get to the place of where you start following God and you continually follow God, where your eyes are continually fixed. What does it say? It says, keep running and don't stop moving. How many of you ever went on a road trip and just sat in the driveway? Come on. We there yet? You haven't even left. Many of us do that in our pursuit of God. We come to a place of salvation and we, we know where we're going. We want to follow God, but we just get in the car and we're in the car and we're this side, uh, you know, of hell, the hell line, right? You know, we have a relationship with the Lord, but we don't go anywhere. There has to be movement. There has to be a pursuing. There has to be a following. There, you, have to be, you have to be going somewhere. What is your destination? But it says, keep running, don't stop. How many of you know if you fall, get up and keep going? Finishing is more important than failing along the way. Some of you fail and you're like, well, I guess I'll just go back. You know, and I don't know if you've ever went on a long trip, but how many of you know that there's a certain distance that when you're traveling to get somewhere where you're past the point of no return? You ever been there where it's like, it's too far to go back. We're not going back. Dad, I forgot something at the house. We ain't going home. You should have said that a long time ago. And usually that's five, ten miles for me. It ain't that far from the house. That I will not go back. But why are we guilty of when we fail, we go back? What God wants us is for us to fail, to, to stand up, to kind of dust off our pants, learn from what we're doing, and continue to move forward towards the destination. How many of you learn, know that we should be learning from our mistakes, not creating the same mistakes? How many of you have, had, have any potholes around your house right now? How many of you have seen this pothole coming into the church? How many of you hit it every single Sunday? How many of you are smart enough to go around it? Okay, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, hey, go around it if you know it's there. And I think that that's what we do sometimes in our spiritual life. We know the pothole's there. It would be ignorant. I'm not calling you ignorant, but if you hit the pothole every time, shame on you. You know it's there, right? We have to learn because we have to move forward. Now, let me tell you what. Keep falling, but keep getting up. Keep moving forward. Do you realize the only way not to fall is to not move? It's a conservative move, right? You're like, I'm not going to go anywhere. You know, you can be so safe in life that you don't move because you're afraid of failing. But you will never achieve greatness if you don't move towards your destination. It's going to require you to continually move forward. So what do we need to do? Keep our eyes on Jesus. When we get discouraged, remember that what Jesus endured. It says he endured the cross. He sacrificed a lot. He even had a conversation with God. He says, God, if uh, you can take this cup from me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he said, Lord, this is a hard road. This is a challenging road. But what did he say? He says, Lord, but not my will, but your will be done. He had his mind up on the destination of whatever his life was supposed to look like to bring his father glory. And that's what we have to do this morning. We have to have our minds made up. Whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, I don't care how often I fall. We should look like busted up Christians because of our pursuit to move forward. Don't play it safe. Anything of great value requires some type of risk. 
If you play it safe, you have a good testimony of safeness, but you will never walk on the water. Because that was not the safe thing to do. Have to keep our eyes fixed on the destination. We need to run in this life to get the prize, not in this life, but in the next life. A heavenly reward. Job 8, 5 through 7, it says, But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty. So it's conditional, right? It says that if you do these and if you are pure and upright, even now he, he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you the, your, purpose, your prosperous state. Your beginning will seem humble, but so prosperous will be your future. What is this, this passage? What are you saying, Pastor? Do not despise small beginnings. As I run, I get better at running. As I avoid the potholes of life, I get better at avoiding the potholes. As I war against the devil, I hope I learn to put my hands up. He hit me again. Come on. How many, how many times can I let him hit you in the face? Right? Even a dummy's going to learn to defend themselves. But we have to realize this war that we wage for the world to see the greatness of God within us is against the enemy of this world. Because he knows that if he can keep your greatness hidden, it will con completely reduce what people, will reduce how people see God. But let's, let's perhaps, if the world saw our greatness, would it not glorify God? That when they see our gifts and our talents and our abilities and us thriving in our design, thriving in our desires and pursuing the destination that God has set before us, will they not see the goodness of God in our lives and bring Father God glory? Because it's all about doing something, being something, being all that God has called me to be. How many of you trust that what God has done and built you for is good enough? many of you believe that? And that is more than enough to live a great, great filled life. But you have to see it. Inside of every person, there's greatness that God has placed there. The greatness is displayed by living a life unto God, surrendered, discovering your purpose, but this life is only found in and through Jesus. A lot of us try to be something really, really great on our own. And according to human standards, it might look good. But it will completely miss the mark of what God wants you to do and what he has purposed and designed you to be. One more thing I want to encourage you in closing is don't let anyone despise your age. Now I'm going to cover both sides of that. Because most of the time we say, because, it's, I'm, because I'm too young. But many of you have settled to say, I'm too old. And you disqualify yourself from the race set before you. And God says, son and daughter, keep running well. Because it's in running that race, it's allowing our desires to focus on God. And it's allowing our design to thrive in our life that brings the greatness of God's image out in our lives. Because the world begins to see it. If they see anything good in me, let them see Jesus. If they see any grace or, or freedom in my life, let it be Jesus. Not for your own sake, 
Not for your name. Well, the Connell household, you know, those are pretty good cats over there. They got it all together. No, they have a grace of God in their life because God has radically changed their heart. It's not just because he's a pastor, but he's a son of the king. And his children are in the household of God. And all of the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable in my children's life. And I will push them and thrive for them to be what God has called them to be, not what the world says they need to be. What does that mean, Pastor? I don't care if they go to college. If that's not what God has for them. But if that's what God has for them, so be it. And whatever that is, Lord, I'm for it. If you're young or if you're old, we serve the Lord. Your purpose and your greatness will only be found in and through Jesus. You know, when God looked at us, it says, while we were still yet sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. Man, that's a tough passage for me because that's when I wasn't worth much. That might have even been a season where I was rejecting God and didn't love Him and didn't know His ways. didn't matter if I grew up in a Christian household or not. If I didn't serve Him and I didn't call Him Lord, I didn't know Him for me. I was living a life of destruction, not a pursuer of God's heart and His design and His direction. I was pursuing things for myself. It says, while Pastor Noe was, a, while was, he was still a sinner, not where I am today, Jesus came and died for me. Man, that is the greatest price. Because God saw something in me. God saw something in you of the highest value. Remember I said the the thing that is rare and purity and the mark of his creator is what determines his value. Well, let me tell you what. Do you realize that you are one of a kind? So do you know what kind of value that puts on you? There There can never be another you. There can never be another you. Can you stand up with me? Man. As a church, I hope that we start moving into the realm of believing for God to do what He wants to do rather than complaining about what He has yet to do. Let me say that one more time. I I want us to move into the realm of expecting God to move and to work in our lives rather than complaining about what He has not done yet. If God hasn't done it yet, He hasn't provided the breakthrough yet, or He hasn't added the promotion yet, so be it. May God's will be done. I don't care about what He hasn't done, but I want to begin to focus on what He is doing. Because what He is doing may get me to the place of what He will do and what I actually want anyway. So let our eyes be fixed on Him. It says the author and the perfecter of our faith. But each one of you are a child of God marked with purpose. You know, I've heard people say, well, if God had a fridge, my picture would be on it. Right? But what we, what we say by meaning that sometimes is that I'm His favorite and I'm more valuable than you. How many of you know as a, as a parent, you couldn't choose one kid? There's no stinking way. But I could say, you take me. But I'm not going to choose between my children. 
That is Father God's heart. And I, get, I bet in heaven, I guess, they, oh, I guess they don't need a fridge in heaven, but hypothetically, if they had a fridge in heaven, every single one of our pictures would be on it. Because we all have equal value to God, and he is madly in love with us. Madly in love with us. Think about that for a minute. I want each of you to get it. Man, I don't care if I'm over my time frame, Lord. He loves you to the point of death. He doesn't care about your imperfections near as much as you do. He loves you past the imperfections. He says, I'll take you with all your imperfections. That's what I'm here for. All you have to do is boldly come into his throne of grace and say, Lord, show me what you see in me. And it will radically change your life forever. Can everybody close your eyes in the room? This morning, if you have never seen yourself in the light of how God sees you, I want you to quickly come out of your seat and come to the front because I believe that God is going to reveal to you today how he sees you. Come on. If y'all got it all figured out, I'll let you preach this message next week. You say, I have never really seen myself as valuable to God. I see myself as a failure. I always feel like God is against me and, and mad at me rather than madly in love with me, Pastor. Today he wants to show you a new glimpse of his goodness. That you were created and built for greatness. Lord, I thank you for your goodness in this place. Father, it's in seeing ourselves how you see us. It causes us to even fall in deeper love with you. Thank you, Lord. You and I were one of a kind. And that makes us extremely valuable, extremely unique, and all created for greatness. So, Father, as we go from this place, can you guys say this with me? Say, Lord, show me how you see me. Say it one more time. Say, Lord, show me how you see me. I know how the devil sees me, <laughs> but Lord, I want to know how you see me. Fearfully, wonderfully made, one of a kind, one of his favorite, one of his greatest masterpieces. Now the prayer team come forward. Man, I know there's more of you in this room that are struggling with seeing yourself as God sees you. And as I dismiss, I just want you to be bold, come forward, because I believe that God is just going to radically reveal, just in a quick instance, how he sees you and his love towards you. Let me pray for you, and I'll dismiss you. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray everyone in the room 
grandfather this morning would walk a little higher, would be, be a little bolder in confidence in who you've called them to be. Lord, I thank you for your greatness that flows through our veins, that's built into the fabric of our lives. Lord, as we go from this place, God, I pray that we would have dreams and visions. And God, that we would just see your handiwork in our lives. God, I silence the voice of the enemy that has lied to us for a lifetime. Thinking that we have to earn this value. But Father, this value came through Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we... Be, we get one of the greatest marks in our life full of greatness. Father, as we go from this place, help us know you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.